Hello, I'm Rebecca Castellano, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. Claudia Slogar-Rick is an interdisciplinary artist based in Toronto. They graduated from the University of Guelph in 2017, majoring in studio art. Their practice involves drawing, sculpture, performance, and the internet, using the aesthetics of necessity and efficiency. Rick's work is unapologetically lowbrow, accessible, and community-based. Our conversation was recorded in Tikaranto on the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee, Huron-Wendat, Anishinaabe, and Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations. Hey, Claudia. Hi. How's it going? It's going all right. It's snowing outside in Toronto, Ontario. And it's like the first real snow, I think, of the year. Do you want to talk a bit about what like your practice looks like or um, a bit about yourself just to give listeners a sense? My practice is... I'm really inspired by the internet. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time on Instagram and I think I'm drawn to it as a platform because it is so effective at visually communicating between people or people are able to express themselves visually and then communicate with other people. And, and I also like that it's it doesn't impose in your life as much as like, committing to reading a whole book or something like an instantaneous connection you know or like you can communicate briefly you can communicate a lot the word efficiently i think has been the word that i've been using to describe your practice lately that we maybe settled on to describe it kind of like this david shrigley-esque like approach to drawing where it is like a quick communication of something that people really feel like deeply or that's like ironic or really relevant. Yeah. I think if I boiled it down to like a couple words, efficiently would be up there. Relatability would be up there. Um, accessible. Um, Do you want to talk more about like the accessibility of it? Because I find that's what people are like curious about when I start talking about your work. Like that's what they latch on to. I am interested in accessibility because I grew up pretty poor and I want to, and I never felt like I couldn't make art. My mom is an artist. And we always made art out of whatever we could. We always had paint. And we always would cut out cardboard and and create our own things, you know. And, like, art and being able to make stuff is magic. And I think, like, you know, the places and like my interests always like seem to be like colliding and overlapping because I love cooking and I think cooking is such a like important facet of my art practice as well as just like 
you know, I like cooking and I like eating and sharing food and having dinner parties. I think that exchange is like key in your work. So like you post something, but it's also the reactions that you get from it. Like you, what was the painting? Um, your dick gets hard for plein air painting. Yeah. Like that, that gets like a reaction out of like other artists on the internet, obviously. Right. I like making paintings, saying an idea that I've been thinking that I'm sure other people have been thinking. Like, I feel like the more I've shared, the more I understand that if I'm honest and sharing and being vulnerable and like sharing an idea of mine, odds are someone out there has also felt that or thought that or it resonates with them. And I think like that just like brings us a little closer together. And I think that that's so wonderful. Like when I read, you know, Keith Haring's diary, I feel connected to him because he was, you know, sharing, well, he was like writing in a diary. He was like being like writing his personal thoughts. And I feel like if he was alive today, he would really like Instagram. He would like kill it. He'd be like the king of Instagram because I think like he's about communicating and visually communicating and like the power that artists have and capitalizing on people's attention has been like, I'm also rewatching Mad Men and there have been generations of people who have used this power for evil because they had access to this power, but now the playing field is level. We all have access to creating content, sharing content so easily. And I think we're just moving towards a situation where the best idea wins. I don't know why I think that. I guess no. I'm like an optimist, no, but that totally is like, yeah. there's definitely toxic forces out there on the internet. Like it's not all pure happy, but I think, like, with the more fake news there is, people are just going to have to become smarter and stronger and better at critical thinking and start questioning things that we haven't questioned for a long time. When I was thinking, or when I was re-listening to the episode with Emily Reimer, you guys were talking about, the like, medieval times. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, like, I don't know anything about history, like, a very little. Actually, I've been watching this YouTube series called Crash Course, and they talk, and it's like basically like grade school level history classes. But I had never cared about history before. But now, from learning about more, like more about history, it's so obvious that we've been like looping and cycling mm-hmm. the same ideas and the same like systems of oppression forever and i think like the more that everybody is learning about it and the more accessible that information is is like the smarter everybody's gonna get and i think just even like making podcasts like this you're adding to that but also like you're a part of that yeah i think artists are busy like creating these structures because there haven't been any in forever right yeah, I think in um, 
in the podcast you talked with Jonah about how queer artists always are making their own spaces to show like queer art because those spaces gonna already exist and like carving out that space for that art to exist it's like it's just happening on a different level now no and everything's so much more accessible like bless the internet for happening but as it's been able to connect people from like so far apart because we're able to like connect from like city to city to city and you have these moments of like connection and like validation of yourself and like your voice right the internet is so incredible. I feel like I'm always learning more about it. But one thing that I've been like listening to lately is another podcast called Dissect. Mm. And they dissect like hip hop and rap albums, Sick. like um, song by song, and just like break it down and make that accessible, that information and, and making, giving people a greater appreciation for music. But the season they're doing now, is about Childish Gambino's album because the internet, which already is an incredible album, but they start this season of the podcast just talking about the internet and like, you know, throughout history from the beginning of time, people have always been trying to connect with each other and communicate. And, you know, our lives are so short and before like a printing press and before things like that, like, carving letters into stones that gives a permanence and like gives you access to the generations before and after you. And then the way like ideas disseminated after the printing press was invented and industrial age, that was all nothing compared to what the internet is. Yeah. And now we're just reeling still about what this even means Mm -hmm. having everybody be connected And I just, like, think that it's so exciting, but it makes me think about the medieval times. Because I feel like we're in the medieval times of, like, the post-internet age. For sure. Because, like, we're all, like, we don't even know what's going on yet. Like, Like, obviously people are thinking about the impacts that are happening, like, currently, but it's not going to be until later that we can look back and really see what was going on. I think about that all the time, especially with art. Like, I try and put words to the art that's being made around me or, like, a trend that I see. And I'm like, okay, I can totally answer this question in 10 years. Totally. It's it's really exciting. I think about, like, the hive mind of YouTube mm. and how people are more divided than ever. But if you can take the time to explain something to someone and like connect with them and like a situation where people are like sharing knowledge Mm -hmm. and like figuring stuff out and being responsive and having a conversation with like the internet or like audience members, you know, like I feel like these conversations that you have feel like conversations that I could also be a part of or I am a part of them because I'm able to listen Mm -hmm. to them I post on the internet um just because I'm like when I was in school I liked showing people my art and having them talk to me about it and posting on the internet's like very similar to that you don't get as much feedback as I would as I used to in school but 
like I I just want to share what I'm working on because I think it's pretty good and I don't think it's so precious that I'm going to have to hold on to it and hold it secret until I show it in a gallery. I make it and I want to show you it right away and there's no like time to doubt myself <laughs> also. I value that connection with other artists on the internet and I just want to share. I feel like mm-hmm. being a pure and a sharer is like what I imagine most artists are. Yeah, for sure. But your work has existed in the gallery like a whole bunch of times. Like your paintings were in like Susan Hobbs and shit. So like I feel like the stuff that you're making fits so well in these gallery spaces and are like speaking to artists and the people that consume art? Yeah, I think like there are certain aspects of like the work I do that really shine when you see them in real life. Mm. So I think like showing them in spaces where people can like see them in real life or IRL is still important to me, but if it was the only reason I was making art, then I would stop making art because mm-hmm. I can't force myself to justify all the art I'm making so that it has to exist in this like elite space. Yeah. Because I don't think that it all needs to be in that space. I think it sometimes you just need to see it, read it, and then like look away. And if you didn't have to go all the way to a gallery to do that, then that's, and then it'll also be able to reach more people because it doesn't have to just be in a gallery. I guess one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was like this inside outside thing because both of us kind of have like deviant practices that like exist on the internet or through street art and, and all those things, but also like want to be in gallery spaces and like in conversation with other artists and, you know, obviously talking and, and writing about each other's work is only going to make us grow. So I'm not going full anti-institution here but I was wondering if you wanted to talk a bit about like your thoughts and feelings as to like how you fit into the art world or or your practice or or the things that you've observed like being a person in Toronto making for a few years and then your experiences in Guelph as well. I think making art in school was the ideal situation because of all the support and feedback and access to space and facilities like it was everything and then leaving that and leaving the community that we built together was like a huge shock and I heard from many people that the years after they leave undergrad are like the most unproductive years and it feels the worst probably because you're coming from a situation where you're creating so much and it's like your whole life, but then real life, I had to get, you know, a, a job and work, you know, 40 hours a week and I can't afford a studio in Toronto and I'm in a tiny apartment and where do you even find the time to like make that kind of work anymore? Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I didn't have a studio. So I, you know, had to pivot and start making art that was physically smaller or you know drawings digital drawings on my ipad which don't take up any space at all because they don't even need paper you don't even need to go buy paper buy pencils or whatever you're just making 
And then the turnaround so quick and the color selection is incredible. <laughs> Big fan of digital drawing. No waste. No wrong answers. You can make the ugliest painting and you don't even have to feel bad about it because it's not even wasting a canvas or whatever. True. My practice now, I have a little bit of room now and I'm able to be like painting and it's pretty crazy in there. Lots of stuff. It's like a storage room. But when I'm not making, when I'm not expressing myself through like a creative outlet, then it's just like deep depression. So I don't know. I don't know how to not keep making. This week's podcast recommendation is episode 27 of Broccoli Magazine's podcast, Broccoli Talk, called Cannabis Equity in Canada with the Quasi Owusu Bempa. The episode description begins, in North America, Canada is leading the way with federal cannabis legalization. Progressive laws are just the first step though. Creating an equitable system for black and indigenous communities harmed by cannabis prohibition will require deeper work. Listen to episode 27 of Broccoli Talk to find out more. When I was naming this podcast, I kept thinking about, like, I'm in grad school. I feel like I'm in this ivory tower. It kind of bugs me in a specific way because I both recognize and don't recognize, like, boundaries around the art world. Um, I was just wondering, like, how you feel being someone who, who makes so outside, like, on the internet, graffiti and all those things, um, and also wants to function within, like, the gallery system and, and being a part of that conversation with other artists in that not elite community, but maybe, like, tight-knit circle of, like, Canadian, North American artists? When I think about making art for an audience, it doesn't sound... Like, I'm not as concerned with that. I feel like if I'm posting online, the people who are going to like my work are going to find it, and they're going to see it for what it is, and they're going to appreciate it. And the people who see my work in a gallery and appreciate it in a gallery are the same people. It's just, like, a different avenue of getting that person's, like, eyes on what I'm doing. I don't see it as so much as, like, a different thing, just a different, like, route to the same place. Yeah, yeah. Like, people engaging with your art. But I don't value, like, a gallery, like, a gallery visitor's eyes over someone who sees my work on the internet. Like, I think that would be, like, short-sighted. Yeah. I think actually COVID like really, especially at the beginning where everything just like changed to online exhibitions and like online music and online connections, like we're forced to value those connections as equally valid as like an in-person interaction. And I think like, the, the things that we do lose from hanging out with our, like, close friends and being in, like, close proximity are, are are obviously affected. But, like, my interaction with, like, a stranger is not really affected. In fact, it might even be a little, like, safer to, like, not see them in real life sometimes. For sure. And I think that's so great, you know, like, that people are are adapting to different ways of communicating, like through videos on lecture videos or um, like for a school, for a class or whatever. The people who are 
good. Like we know what it is a, means to be effective at communicating, and it seems like it's a long time coming that these things are utilized. Like why can't all university lecturers be as produced as like contrapoints as videos on YouTube? You know, like mm-hmm. I want my content to be that dense all the time. I want to be able to watch it, you know, 10 times and still be learning something on the 10th time I'm watching it. There's so much going on in those videos Mm -hmm. and that's what I want, you know, like I think that in TV and film we've been doing that, you know, like especially in animated shows where you're not even bound by the limits of a live action cast or whatever bojack horseman i think they described it once like the creators described it as just trying to pack as many jokes in as possible like visual or pun or you know whatever Mm -hmm. and i just like feel inspired by that because why not like we have control like of every aspect in art school they teach you that like every action you make is important and should be doing those making those choices for good reasons and it just makes sense that we're trying to be as like effective and efficient in our communication as possible using emojis to express a feeling or like feelings being communicated between people through means Mm -hmm. we didn't have like a language to do that other than a visual language just like that people are communicating their feelings to people that they don't know mm-hmm. and like being connected and like seeing something and be like, Oh, that's relatable. Oh, that's putting into words how I'm feeling. It's like, that's so powerful. Like you're connecting to people on an emotional level. And I don't even think people are like wise to it as much as they could be. I think like abstract expressionism or whatever painting you know that is it you're communicating a feeling but we can do that through so many things now yeah we have so many tools at our disposal and like the accessibility of meme making like the way that it's changed like do you remember when you used to have to save reaction gifs and like your computer and phone and now there's a keyboard for it i'm totally that changed my life (laughs) our like our vocabulary is just like so huge now Mm -hmm. when we can also like, instead of just saying something, we can also reply in a GIF, and then it's even even more loaded, like, a, as a reply or whatever. Yeah, like, there's just a richness that we can access now. Oh, yeah. Going back to what you were saying about, like, online stuff and, like, the ability to communicate now and thinking about, like, schools and classes. Like, one of, I can't remember if you did this right at the beginning of the quarantine or, like, a few months in, but, like, Cloudy School of Witchcraft and Wizardry was just such a great way of like you making with your friends. Do you want to outline that project? Because I think it like summarizes everything that you said. (laughs) Well, I've been making art in quarantine and I feel like a lot of the times I'm kind of, you know, drawing from prompts that I received when I was in university. And I'm thinking about just like being in university and having someone ask you to think a certain way or, challenging you to solve a problem creatively and it's so 
easy to to be that teacher you know you're like prompting people to be creative the cloudy art school of witchcraft and wizardry is kind of like a i want to put it prompts out there and as a teacher like it's not gonna like i'm not a real teacher so it doesn't really matter to me if you don't do your homework assignment on time but if anything i just want you to think about the prompt and even just like think about doing it if anything like turns in someone else's brain or something else clicks or someone's inspired by it and then they move on into their own direction with that then what i've done is just pushed like a little bit for someone to like get there on their own i want to inspire people to feel like they have the agency to make their own work because they do it doesn't have to be the best drawing it doesn't have to be the most beautiful thing or whatever like for me i know that like making is very like important and like helpful and like a kind of therapy and it doesn't have to be high stakes like i really love blind contour drawing it's an exercise that i was taught probably um by my mom but i remember we did it in school and I used to do it in high school with my friends where I would just get people who are not artists to draw and to look and to do this drawing exercise that if you never take an art class, you'll probably never do it. Uh But it's such a good exercise because it totally is a different way of thinking about something. And so one of the cloudy art school assignments was doing a Zoom call and then drawing the squares of the zoom um like the different people in the you know the group chat and then doing a blind contour drawing of each person in each frame (laughs) and it's just like it's such a loaded thing because there's so much going on in that we're in covid we're making like we're doing video calls like we've never done them before and we're just like desperately trying to connect to each other but then also like making together and like sharing with each other and I just think that we have to just make do the world is different and it's never going to go back to normal we have to adapt and artists are the best at that yeah so the creative solutions are going to come from them and like who I think of as an artist is like it could be anybody yeah you know it's like creative problem solving it's like so many people do that all the time like I don't need to go to school and get a degree to be calling myself an artist like that is so stupid yeah I think maybe that's why I feel so weird about being my master's because I'm like oh I don't I'm not actually invested in the idea of like having a piece of paper to like legitimize yourself and like I think that anybody can like curate or write or make art or like do whatever the fuck they want to do without any schooling and like obviously Going and having four or two years to talk about something for a long time is great. But you can do that in, like, your community with your friends. Yeah, I mean, I think school is definitely, like, a great ecosystem to foster, like, those kinds of, like, ideas. But not for everybody, you know? Like, having school debt and, like, thinking about that debt while you're in school like I'm sure is like a huge hindrance to creative creativity you know like yeah, I mean like Toronto 
particularly, but all over the world, unless you have like financial privilege, Mm -hmm. so much is not accessible even if you go to school. Oh, yeah. And that's a huge privilege on its own. Yeah, I think maybe school is a privilege, but, like, learning shouldn't be. Like, you shouldn't have to go to school to, like, learn about the world around you or or learn how you want to contribute to it, you know? Like, I think that's a a silly barrier that's in place right now. Totally. You shouldn't have to go to university to learn critical thinking. (laughs) I mean, everybody's trying to manipulate you through the media. And if you're consuming that content without questioning it, you're you're just like a target for being lied to you know and and i always think about like kind of going back to like medieval ideas like things that we used to think were true are very much not true (laughs) you know so why are we so sure that we've got it right this time you know yeah yeah i get that i think with at ocad they've like rejected most people have rejected the idea of like being an authority So, like, whenever I'm writing, I never write as, like, an authority. But reading, like, oh, my God, I don't know, like, Foucault or Marx, like, any of the men who wrote a while ago, like, they're so fucking sure of themselves. I'm like, who writes like this? Like, they're the one authority, and they know everything, and there's no way that you can prove them wrong. Yeah, I feel like I can definitely empathize almost with that where I'm like (laughs) sure in things I believe in yeah but I also am conscious of like questioning that and why I believe that and like I need good reasons to believe the things I believe Mm -hmm. and things change yeah if you can't learn and grow and change your ideas then you're just stuck when you're growing up I think like there's this misconception that like adults know what's true and what's right and like as a kid i'm sure there are like a lot of things that like an adult does know is true and right you know like safety things (laughs) or whatever but the idea that someone like grows up and stops learning or like no knows enough is like such a flawed way of like living your life yeah Like, if you're not open to having conversations that challenge you, you're closing yourself off to so much. Oh, I wanted to say something, like, regarding something we were talking about earlier, but just that if someone, like, looks at my art and thinks, oh, my kid could do that, or, oh, I could do that, I just want that person to feel like they can do that and they should do that if they want to. I want you to think, oh, if that person's doing it and they're successful at it, then I too can do that. I guess also I should say like what successful means to me is just like it's successful if it's like reaching someone and resonating with them. Mm. And then that's a connection that I have as an artist with someone else as a viewer. And I don't think that's like unique to art. You know, texting is like that. You know, you're talking to someone and you're you're having a conversation, you're communicating. My art is just like a more like a visual manifestation of that. Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, 
a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you would like to support the podcast and help me avoid burnout, please visit our Patreon to subscribe. Check out the show notes for more details. If you can't donate, no worries. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you have an artist you would like to hear interviewed, would like to fact check, slash correct a past episode, or would just like to chat, feel free to message me on Instagram at hoppingthefence or by email at rebeccapcasolino at gmail.com. Original artwork for Hopping the Fence by Alex Gregory. Original music by Jessica Price Eisner. Thanks so much. Bye.